trouble, Illinois. Lock the front door, boy. Look at all the happy creatures dancing on the lawn. Bother me tomorrow. Today I'll buy no sorrow. Support for WERU comes from our generous listeners. Thank you. I'm Fritz Homans, and meet me every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 4 at the Blues Station. We'll be departing on track 145 for a new destination every week, where we'll journey across the country in search of the best toe-tapping, blues music around that's guaranteed to make your soul sing. The Blues Station, every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 4, here on WERU 89.9 FM and streaming live at WERU.org. Blues to make you feel good. All aboard for the Blues Station. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Mabel Wadsworth Center, providing comprehensive sexual and reproductive health services to people in northern and eastern Maine since 1984. Insurance, Maine care, self-pay accepted, and reduced fees for uninsured clients. MabelWadsworth.org. And the time is 10 o'clock. You're listening to Community Radio WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Stay tuned for Healthy Options with your host, Rana Feynman. Good morning. On today's Healthy Options program, we'll explore the community-building capacities of storytelling. What you may wonder, might storytelling have to do with Healthy Options? Well, as it turns out, everything... Because when we tell our stories and we hear other people's stories, we discover how important it is for our social, emotional, and physical well-being to be connected in community. And it's very important, especially in areas where communities have been torn apart by difference or even in the aftermath of war. Our guest today to explore this concept concept of story is Gerard Stropnicki, who is the theater artist, writer, director, and co-founder of the Network of Ensemble Theaters, the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble, and Camp Emerge, a camp for families touched by autism. He was named USA Low Fellow in Theater in 2010 and is a Temple Grandin Award winner for his service to the autism community, that's ASD community. Gerard Stropnicki has worked with rural teens, Kentucky coal miners, Georgia shrimp processors, moonshiners, Mardi Gras Indians, communities severely impact, impacted by hydraulic fracking, and communities in post-war Uganda and post-genocide Rwanda, among others. In rural communities in Appalachia, Pennsylvania, and the Deep South, he's written and directed productions featuring diverse community casts, employing <coughs> local stories to celebrate, challenge, and address the difficult concerns and issues that keep communities apart. Right, he says there's more. 
He says that, and we'll talk about this, as an obvious outsider, he only goes where he's invited in order to work with people who are experiencing conflicts or in crisis or post-trauma. These people who need to tell their stories to help towards healing and build community and peace in their communities. Current projects include work with former steelworkers and their descendant generations, and there's a play and festival event happening in post-industrial Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. In fact, we'll talk about that. It's happening this week in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He's also coming back to Belfast, Maine in November, and we'll talk about that too. So we're so happy that Gerard Stropnicki could join us here by phone today. Welcome to Healthy Options. Good morning, Rhonda. How are you? I am great. So glad you're here. <laughs> Let's... Nice to be back, even if it's just on the phone this time. There you go. Um, Let's start just by defining what 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 we're talking about. Is there a difference between storytelling or story? What what are we talking about when we we bring that up? Well, um, my um, my background is in theater. You know, I'm a I'm a theater director and writer, and I was an actor for a very long time, and so I kind of backed in to story, um, looking to find ways to release the the power of the form that I was working in. I kept being disappointed by it, frankly, even great productions. I grew up outside New York and went to school in Chicago. Even great productions didn't seem to be crossing that line. Uh, Over time, I began to see that ensembles working together had a better chance of making work that would truly uh, move the needle, uh, move how communities see themselves and people see themselves. But... uh, I was about 20 years into it when um, story and community story uh, crossed my path. Um, it was actually in in, uh, in Zambia. We were it was 1991, and we were touring. My theater company, Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble, was touring for the State Department, and so we were performing in these various in uh, seven sub-Saharan African countries. And part of that, though, was to do workshops with people. And very quickly, we were learning far more than we were teaching. And one of the groups invited us to see them perform, um, much to the chagrin of our U.S. Marine minders who did not want us to go into that neighborhood. But we went, and it was a piece built of story, built of local story, that um, it was really there to combat the the HIV-AIDS crisis. And it was a raucous comedy, <laughs> um, but comedy built on about local. HIV. <laughs> about yeah, yeah. It was great. It was Elizabethan in its in its size and its call of response. But everyone there could completely relate to it. I learned later that it was being funded by USAID, uh, the Agency for International Development, and they were funding it because lo and behold, it worked. Um, HIV rates were decreasing where they did these kinds of programs. And I went, whoa, that's moving the needle. That's making it happen. Um, That inspired me to start um, doing something that I hadn't been doing, which is listening, and to begin making projects in my home community in rural Pennsylvania to to listen to the voices of the place right there. Uh, Pretty soon, I got invited by other people that were doing this work to do this work in the Deep South. And in Appalachia, I met Joe Carson, who grabbed me by the collar. And she was a um, poet and playwright uh, out of East Tennessee, a great poet and playwright, um, who 
had found this work, and um, she taught me, uh, introduced me to John O'Neill, who taught me more about the power of story. He was um, he had created this this uh, methodology called Story Circle, which um, I mean people have been sitting around in circles telling stories forever. But um, he was a trained actor, and he was working with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in the early 1960s um, during the Freedom Summers, um, building the movement for for voting rights and for equal rights, and uh, getting people together in a story circle to share what they had happened, what had, their own lives, what had, things that had happened to them, um, in, in a way that others in the community could listen to it. Built, uh, uh, built the movement. It was really remarkable. And so I was able to learn from him. And little by little, I started to, I don't know, do it and add to my knowledge and uh, teach this work and do workshops on this work everywhere I could go because this is work that um, moves the needle, that changes communities. So what we're finding is by, and I know Joe Carson talked about this, that what did what did she say? I think I, I have some quote from her. She says that um, that uh, she suggests that a play or any work of art will not in itself solve the problem, solve the problem right. of the community, but art can provide a view through the fog. You you say yeah. that about her, and when you're writing about her, so how did how did how did a play? change did change behavior or how does it what happened in Appalachia what happens when you come in and and people start listening and hearing each other's story what what have what do you notice well something happens in the next step which is uh, I mean there's something extraordinary that happens just to be listened to to tell one's story and and have others listen to it that is uh, validating it is a kind of a sharing that we don't do very often, but when we do do it, it is therapeutic. Uh, the idea of sharing story and listening to story is central to therapy. But the next step, and this became Joe Carson's passion, was reframing that story, that the, that the real health-giving happens in how we tell our stories to ourselves. And in the transference of one story told privately or in a circle um, to something that can be performed outward in the form of a play. There's a whole lot of work that happens on that story. And we look at what it means and, and what are the gifts in the story and um, what, what are, where's the pain and then how do we work through the pain? And that can also be a gift, how we work through it. Um, and in the reframing, we change how we tell the story to ourselves. And when we do that, we change everything about ourselves, and we change our body chemistry, and we also change the, the mix that is the community. When the story um, goes out in that way, reframed, the community has a way to, to adjust how it tells its story to itself. And if it's a large public performance, it is possible for the community to share a narrative that they might not have ever shared before. And that's, that's how it works. Um, so I can tell you, you know, in Colquitt, Georgia, 
for example, the amazing Swamp Gravy Project, which is well into its third decade now, wow. um, has been making plays of its own stories. And their impetus, I mean, their initial drive was this is uh, in the southwest corner of Georgia, and it's um, you know a place where they grow cotton and peanuts, and there wasn't much happening. And all the storefronts and the town square uh, were closing down or were empty already, and the hospital was threatening to move out of town. And some community folks got together and said, well, what do we got left? Well, we got our stories. We're really good at swapping stories. And, uh, and we have each other. And they began this project to perform their stories. They created original musicals called Swamp Gravy. <laughs> Swamp Gravy is a, is a recipe, actually. It's, it's, uh, we might know it as stone soup. Oh. It's, you've already fried the catfish up, right? Uh-huh. And you serve that, but other people show up, and you got the drippings in the pan. But they brought some okra, or they brought some tomatoes, or potatoes, or carrots. And it all gets mixed in and put over a new batch of rice, and that's what Swamp Gravy is. So it's a way of stating that the community is going to bring what it can bring. And out of that um, comes something that is nourishing. It's kind of beautiful. Anyway, fast forward 20 years, because they've been at it so long. Um, now every storefront on that square is full. And there are coffee shops. I mean, there are things that never would have been there before. There are hotels built around the community because people come to see these plays, which run eight weeks a year. The hospital not only stayed open, but it expanded. Um, and the census shows, because there have been two censuses in the interim, that it's the only community of its type in that part of the country that has actually increased in population and increased in per capita income. They use story to change how they think about themselves. And in that, they brought economic health to the community. Now, it's Deep South. So, I mean, I worked there for, oh, I don't know. Let me see. I did um, five shows there, I think, um, 10 productions over. Uh, I was uh, artistic director there for two periods. Um, it's the Deep South. So, it doesn't work if you're just going to tell, like, the Chamber of Commerce stories, aren't we great? Please come see it. Um, it only works if, if you go deeper and you tell the stories that are important to people. And so a lot of the stories when I was there were about race and looking at the uh, racial history of the place. And um, their theme song has a thing, Tell It All and the Truth Will Set You Free. Um, and... Well, I don't think that problem is in any way solved in that community or that county. Huge step forwards, steps forward have happened, um, including uh, integrating the volunteer fire company, things like that. Um, that was so cool, they ended up making a play about it. Um, and so step by step, how we tell our stories and who's involved um, makes that change. So it's... It was important there to make sure the cast and the people putting the production together represented the community or across all the various, you know, borderlines, dividing lines of the community, uh, race, economics, faith, uh, geography, etc., gender. All those need to be represented in, in the piece. And each piece is going to be different. Um, so, so, and go at something else. 
So we've been able to do things like this in Kentucky and, um, you know, I I try to do it everywhere we go. I can't wait to see what happens in Bethlehem next week, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So, uh, well, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that, and also the work that you're doing going to be doing here in in uh, in May in Belfast, May, November first and second. But what I'm hearing, and that's a, a great metaphor. Of course, we are on the radio about listening. Yeah. Mm. Uh, when you have these communities, I would imagine people brave enough to come to your story circle, and I imagine it isn't an open. Is that how you start? Just come and talk? And, and Yeah, there's usually uh, an invitation. I mean, I only go where I'm invited. And um, then there, so there's a, a group of people that have, for whatever reason, found out about this work and located me or someone like me to go into the community. Um, and then using extant infrastructure to start uh, listening to circles. I spent a lot of time in church basements. I spent a lot of time. <laughs> in libraries. Um, Sometimes the circles are open by invite. Anybody wants to come, come. Sometimes it's a group of people that are um, specifically called. Um, You know, sometimes it's just the church choir that happens to be there. By the time, um, and some of the communities like Swamp Gravy now have a story gathering that happens year-round. They're at it all the time. So I'll just describe what I know to do, which is, uh, you know, that process. Over the course of that, I may uh, gather a couple hundred people mm. in 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 getting stories, eight at a time, ten at a time, twelve at a time. Um, sometimes one on one, usually two on one, um, when that happens. And off of that, a story set is built, and then it goes into building a script. These are also community wide, or often community wide, so that a swamp gravy play. Uh, could have 80 or 100 people in it. <laughs> um, the same thing of a, a higher ground play, the plays we began doing in, in Harlan County, Kentucky. Uh, I mean, they can be enormous. And there are other rules about it, like no one's turned away. This isn't like community theater. We call it community performance sometimes. But um, it, it isn't like, you know, you're, you're auditioning to get a role in, in a play. Um, and there's 20 people auditioning, and one person gets the role. In this work, everybody who comes out uh, that's willing to do the work and be responsible um, gets to be in it. And the play will grow and expand or change, depending upon who shows up. Um, And so by the time the play opens or the production opens, it could easily have involved three, 400 people. And so those people come and their families come, and the work of change in community has already begun. The idea that we have a story as a community that is valid to tell, or we have issues that we want to work through together through story, um, that that process is beginning, uh, draws people into the space. Um, and then the, the, the dialogue and the change begins. So the idea that people listening to each other in possibly communities or parts of a community that never interacted or rarely or perhaps only interact on a negative way or, you know, or something that's ex- than that's exactly the right. other, all of a sudden you've come brought these, the, all of these forces together 
and with the rules of respect and right and uh, mm-hmm. and of, of real listening. And um, I, that's that's what I'm hearing is is occurring. It, it feels risky and it feels dangerous, but those different story circles can be done <clears throat> in different communities, in separate communities, in communities that uh, feel comfortable in and among themselves. Oh, the, right. The the bridging process happens when the when the script is brought together, and and people come to hear the script and say what they like and don't like. The community has to hold a great deal of agency. They determine how their story is told. Um, and they, it, it, that process uh, is, is where the most important conversations happen. I, I, we did a piece. Yeah, uh, in, hold, hold that thought, Jerry, because uh, uh, I mean, Gerard, Jerry. Jerry right? is fine. <laughs> right. Um, because, and I'll try to remember to call you Rhonda. Oh, please, yes. <laughs> with, a, with, a, with an H. Okay. Um, yeah. Just for people who just tuned in, and, and hold that thought because I definitely want to hear it. But um, so um, we are speaking with uh, Gerard Stropnicki, Jerry, who's a theater artist, writer, director, and we're talking about fostering connection and healing in communities through the sharing of our stories. And that's what we're doing right now on the Healthy Options Program on WERU. So um, if you just tuned in, that's where we're at. So. <laughs> Yes. Tell me about what you were about to say. Well, I was about to talk about um, a particularly interesting example, I think, was uh, Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, which is uh, the town next to where I live. Uh, was It's all on the Susquehanna River, which occasionally floods. And with um, climate change, it's flooding more and more. And um, we made a play. We made a series of plays. But the second one was the one that really hit it. Uh, there was a devastating flood in in Bloomsburg in 2011, and it caused, you know, 100 million dollars in damage, but the in the county. But the um, there have always been floods, and then afterwards, there's recovery, which is difficult and beautiful, and then people forget about it, and it goes on. And in Bloomsburg, in particular, uh, the following political debates around. Uh, flood protection or returning neighborhoods to green space or changing building codes in terms of parking lots upstream, et cetera. Um, they always uh, <coughs> ended in contention or uh, and nothing got done. And so uh, it became a reason to do the play for the community to change its definition of itself, to see itself as Floodsburg <laughs> and to hear the stories of each other of where we were and what that meant in today's world involving climate change and also involving the built flood environment that we've created. And so we did the, the you know year and a half of story gathering and did probably talk to a couple hundred people in that process. But that included everybody on all sides of the previous debates. And it included county commissioners and the mayor and the fire chief and the police chief and people who would be demonstrating about um, not building flood protection, et cetera. And we did those, those events, and we made this play called Flood Stories, too, um, which had like 75 people on, on stage, including representatives from – we had a choir made up of representatives from every church choir in the county. 
um, which was gorgeous. Lovely. Um, we did it with the university, so university students were involved. The piece was about um, largely, I mean, it told the story of the flood through our own stories, but it also uh, looked at how the flood brought us together across barrier so that the town gown thing was looked at with the college students helping people recover. It was, um, it, it looked at the, you know, the, the space between the Amish and the English that happens here in the Mennonite communities. Um, but mostly it looked at these questions of where we are now. And it, it, I'm not saying that the production ran a couple weeks and it was full every night and, it opened up lots of conversation, and there were discussions afterwards after every performance and then outside of performance. But what happened through the process is when it came time to say, did we allow rebuilding in this neighborhood? The answer was, no, this has to go back to green space now. And purchase uh, uh, the, the, the governmental machine to purchase the property so people wouldn't go bankrupt. Um got put into motion without opposition. Um, there's still some discussion about where the flood walls are being put, but there's flood protection being built for the first time. Mm. And although it takes longer, the zoning around things like parking lots and how they're built are, um, are happening. It's helpful now, of course, that the, the boom in, in mall creation is over. Yes, right? uh, yes. No one wants to build a mall. And those parking lots are crumbling anyway so that they can absorb water um, as opposed <laughs> to dump it all into streams. But, and I, was, I had a conversation with a couple of county commissioners of Columbia County the other day, and they said to me, and they were both involved in the play. They were uh, interviewed for the play. They shared their stories. And although they didn't perform themselves, they were both characters in the play. So, the only so people we name are public figures. Um, but people said, tell you know, other people's stories in your plays. If, yeah, frequently. Yes. More frequently than people giving testimony, yeah. Um, that space and distance allows for a different kind of learning mm-hmm. and a different kind of taking in the story. Um, there's, uh, I can talk, I, there's value in both ways of doing it, but that's the way I choose to do it. But they said that, that these guys... Um, said to me, you know, I think that play made a big difference because we had the political discussion uh, not yelling at each other at commissioner meetings or council meetings. We had it in a circle. Mm. Isn't, isn't that beautiful? It's very beautiful. And yeah. It's, it, it's, 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 uh, it's quite extraordinary, and I think that uh, I know you're going to be here um, on November 1st and 2nd at the opioid I addiction am. epidemic, what art's got to do with it, art transformation transforms addiction, um, and that's in uh, uh, through the Belfast Creative Coalition, and oh, that's in wait. Belfast. And you're going to I be doing... Wait. Art has everything to do with it. I have the answer to that question. <laughs> and, and, but I, I really hope that people come to these workshops, and it's an extraordinary um, group of leaders, um, uh, Vijay Gupta, is has become quite well known for using music to draw community together, unlikely community together, and uh, he's a recent MacArthur uh, Genius Award awardee for his work in Los Angeles. Um, that's so, really cool. I can't wait. So, and and if you people are interested, two one eight one one four four area code two zero seven, and that's the Belfast Creative Coalition dot org. 
and we'll have more information as that gets closer as well. Um, we're just learning so much about the power of of um, of community and this idea of listening. Um, <clears throat> do you find? I, obviously, it's going to be a self-selected group if if it's an open call. Like, yeah, I could do that. But are, are people, when they're sitting in circle, what you've observed, going, "Wow, I didn't know that," or "Oh, I had no idea." putting myself in that position that you experienced that, or I didn't know on the other side of town that this was happening over there, you know, like that, on the east side or the west side. or Yeah, that and more. I mean, there's a, the civic dialogue is important, but the um, civic empathy is really where the growth happens. Um, there's lots of ways to engender really positive and strong civic dialogue that are fun and valuable. But in story, and I think this is what John O'Neill found in his amazing work. Um, he passed away this past Valentine's Day, so mm. I miss him and I honor him. Um, was that the empathy of feeling the other person, giving yourself the opportunity to feel the other person, is, uh, is an enormous thing, just huge, that we begin to... Um, see the world not just through our own story or our own um, uh, neighborhood or our own community or our own you know self-definition whatever that is as a as a coal miner or as a genocide survivor we begin to see the other side or another side and we see the humanity in one another and when that begins when we begin to feel the humanity of one another that's where community healing can happen and the hard discussions can happen i often think that one of the reasons that these projects work and it took me a while to come to the conclusion that indeed they do work because i'm a self-doubter <laughs> was um is the fact that the, the putting together of of the production or the play or the project whatever form it takes keeps people in the room long enough to have the hard discussions. That's important. Time is important. And we build trust across these barriers. And when that happens, healing happens, you know? So um, this idea of, of time, um, since in our day and age of, uh, of instant mm -hmm. media, instant gratification, instant whatever, um, this idea of taking time, of listening yeah. well, is a skill perhaps that we must reacquaint ourselves with. What, what, yeah. How does that work? I mean, do people then have the patience or the curiosity? What's, well, yeah. frequently, it, um, I don't think that we're um, fooling anybody, but there is a, 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 a way of introducing it without a, a you know a huge commitment to begin with and so anybody that experiences uh, a story circle or a series of story circles a day an afternoon will begin to feel something that they have not before they'll begin to go oh my huh uh, that was remarkable i didn't expect that and then the decision then to come back and try it again or, or um, you know, to commit to a, a few days of it. Um, 
by the time we, whenever we start one of these in the community, there's, there's not a pile of people saying, oh, yeah, I'd like to come and work on a piece that's going to take X number of weeks. Sure, <laughs> I got that thought. No, no. But um, if we commit to the project, usually by the time we do our, our invitation our, to come in, it's not auditions. It can be a, sometimes we call it a talent inventory to see what people want to bring to the soup. Um, usually lots of people show up. Sometimes you have to beat the drum a little bit, and sometimes you have to bring in a whole choir. Um, <laughs> Get people out in the community with the drum, you mean? <laughs> yeah, but it, well, you know, I've, actually, I've actually seen that. Oh, um, yeah? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, th- that piece I was talking about in, in Zambia that so moved me, Yes. Um, when we arrived at, uh, it, it was outside of Lusaka, uh, Zambia, and we arrived at the Chapata compound, which is a, a, a neighborhood for poor people. Um, uh, and so it has like 40,000 people and three or four water taps mm. and open sewers. And so they were going to perform outdoors in, uh, in front of the police station on the, the, you know, the hard red clay that is there. And we got there, and there was nobody there. So these actors, creators, devisers, uh, got the drums out of the van and began running through the compound drumming, <laughs> running through the compound drumming, and you know, and and leaping over these open sewers and and kids, and then people started to follow them and uh, join into the rhythms and sing. By the time, forty minutes later, they got back to the circle. There were a thousand people. Oh my! They had drummed up an audience. <laughs> Literally. How about that for being <laughs> literal? Um, and there was something Elizabethan about it, and the joy for the call and response and all those things were already there. Was already there. It was amazing. And it, um, the last thing I expected in my search to find how to release the power, the change-making power of the theater form, I didn't expect to find it in one of the poorest places on earth, the most resource, very resourceful people, but not much in the way of resources, um, uh, in, in uh, South Central Africa. But there it was. And they and later, Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble, we were able to bring a couple of those folks to Bloomsburg to teach us more oh and to make a production together. Yeah. Uh, it was a nice thing of, of being part of a theater company for 35 years. We could do things like that. <laughs> so um, it became a much deeper learning from them as we figured out a way for them, have them to come and you know tell stories and drum in schools while they were here. Wow. If you've just <laughs> tuned in, by the way, you're tuned to WERU Community Radio. This is the Healthy Options Program. I'm Rhonda Feynman. We're talking with a Gerard Shropnicki theater artist, writer, director about the work he's doing to help build and repair communities by the sharing of our stories, of everyone's story. So tell us a little bit about what's happening this weekend in uh, in Pennsylvania, if any of our yeah. listeners are, uh, since we are streaming all over the world, I'm hoping Yay. some of your community is, is tuned in as well, or will inspire people right here in Maine to, uh, to journey off to uh, to uh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> well, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, it's actually a ten-day festival. Oh my goodness! Called Festival Unbound. It begins Friday, October fourth, and it closes.
closes on Sunday, October 11th. It is a festival of nine plays, concerts, community events, outdoor extravaganzas, and a free community meal for thousands. How about that? Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> it, I, we're, we're, I know you're going to be coming here in November 1st and 2nd for the Belfast Creative Coalition's work, um, Art and Action Project, and I'm thinking, wow, now we've got to, uh, now now we need our 10-day yeah. festival. Okay, but so, anyway, continue. Well, here's what happened in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, because of the steel injury. In, yeah, in, 20 years ago, Bethlehem uh, Steel, which was the employer in that community, the primary employer, finally stopped making steel in Bethlehem. And it was a huge traumatic event. Something uh, from their height to their end of 40,000 jobs were lost. My. And Bethlehem Steel was also, I mean, they, they built America in that plant. And that's not an exaggeration. The Golden Gate Bridge, the George Washington Bridge, the Supreme Court Building, Hoover Dam, the Empire State Building, all those were made in Bethlehem, shipped in pieces and assembled by like erector sets. Whoa. All didn't of them were, were made in Bethlehem. So was the battleship Missouri. You know, I mean, um, it was just an amazing um, place, you know, beginning to, from making cannonballs for the Civil War to uh, what they had become. But it was all going away. At the close of that, uh, Touchstone Theater, which is a long-standing um, professional but, uh, theater that is built around its community, um, made a project with Cornerstone Theater uh, in Los Angeles, California. Cornerstone is one of the genius groups of, that have uh, really worked with community story um, for decades. They made uh, what they called um, the Steel Festival, the Art of an Industry. And the centerpiece of that was a piece called Steelbound, which actually you can see in not a very good video, but it's a video it's on there on YouTube. But Steelbound was a piece that was drawn off of the stories of the steelworkers and their families and the other people in the community. And it was done in the steel plant, and it had a cast of something over 100. And it was a mix of professional actors and the, the authentic people, the people themselves. It um, it had music by Issei Barnwell. Oh, um, yeah, Sweet, Sweet Honey, Honey in the, the Rock. Rock for those. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was an astonishing piece, and it made such and and it was uh, Allison Carey wrote it, and it was um, those stories were then woven into the classic ancient Greek play Prometheus Bound um, by Aeschylus, and so it followed the plot line of that. But it was all local story. And so when the choruses came, that's what they talked about. And so Prometheus, instead of being a um, uh, the god that gave us fire, which is the Aeschylus version, that uh, Zeus punished by chaining him to a rock and having an eagle eat out his liver every day. And every day, because he's a titan, it grows back, and it happens on a cycle, and he gets visited by other characters and choruses. Um, instead of that, it was a steelworker named Prometheus, who um, couldn't accept that the mill was closing and gets welded to the ladle by progress. <laughs> and uh, so it was an astonishing piece. And, you know, it got lots of press. It was, you know, CBS Sunday morning and the Wall Street Journal, 
Journal, and um, um, uh, it was on the cover of American Theater Magazine. I mean, it was everywhere. And for the community, though, it was huge. It was like a, um, a cathartic funeral for the industry that, that brought joy as well and, a, and pride and a permission to move on. And that was one, only one thing in the Festival of Steel. So 20 years later, people in the city say, we have to mark where we are now and where we're going. And so um, the impetus came from remembering that and saying, let's do another one. And so they came up with Festival Unbound. Um, I know these people well, and I was commissioned to uh, write a play that would be a sequel to that Steelbound. And did. Um, I spent over the course of two years uh, collecting stories from former steel workers, but now they're kids and their grandkids. And um, that spread out to be community wide um, social service people, people on city council, a story circle in a, um, in, in a homeless shelter. Um, we talked to as many people as we could. And I wrote a play called um, Prometheus Redux. The same actor who played Prometheus 20 years ago is playing Prometheus now. But when we meet him, he is now uh, unconscious and bound in a hospital bed with stage four liver disease. (laughs) Um, Because as it happens, the primary industry of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is now healthcare. And so. um, Tell me what that means. Well, it is hospitals. You know, large medical centers for the most part. Oh, and people come from around Pennsylvania? To... Sure. But, That's... but we find, yeah, Lehigh Valley and others, they're major medical centers. The major oh. burn center in oh. Pennsylvania is there. So, but that also is true that wherever there was large-scale industry in America, there are major medical centers. Baltimore has Johns Hopkins. Cleveland has the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, Minneapolis. Um, the Mayo, uh, Pittsburgh, UPMC, it, and you will find that. Be, why? They had to, because these industries were really hard on bodies. Really, um, they could be quite toxic in terms of the stuff that was happening there. And so these healthcare industries developed around these large-scale industrial places. So, um, but, you know, um, the story is actually, it becomes a, a family story, and, and it's full of hope and love. And um, without giving much away... No, no. Um, right. Come see it. <laughs> how, did, how, did the, how did the ancient Greeks know when they said Prometheus would have his liver pecked out every day and it would grow back? How did they know that the liver is the only organ in the human body that regenerates? How did they know that 5,000 years ago? How did they know? Um, But now we have a live donor liver transplant. And the donor's liver grows back in five to ten weeks. Good as new. And then here's your play. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Metaphors. We're getting goosebumps here. There are nine plays. So, like, women veterans in the community have made a a, a story piece called Forward March about their experience as women serving as warriors in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and coming back to Bethlehem. The uh, uh, Latinx community in Bethlehem, which is quite large, is making a piece which is going to close the festival 
called Abrazos a Berlin, Embracing Berlin, about their stories and their background working with Pregones, the leading, uh, one of the leading uh, Latinx theaters in America out of New York. Um, a, a marionette theater that is located in Bethlehem is making a piece called The Secret about Hilda Doolittle, who is an LBGTQ icon poet from the early 20th century. Yes. That story told in marionettes. Um, nine plays, the African-American community, the black community is doing a, a large-scale homecoming with everybody invited, including music and spoken word. And uh, Issei will be there to lead a community sing. Oh, she also um, gave permission for me to use her music in uh, Prometheus uh, Redux. And the Bach Choir of Bethlehem, which is internationally known, is hosting a sort of large-scale music swap. So um, people from all kinds of disciplines are paired with somebody opposite them. So if you can imagine um, local rappers working with the Bach Choir of Bethlehem, they're calling it a joyful noise, and it also will end in a full community saying, this is an astonishing festival, That's sponsored by the city and, uh, and the county and the National Endowment for the Arts and lots of other folks. But holy cow, is it ambitious. Wow. Jerry, we are very inspired to hear about this here. Um, and again, if you just tuned in, I'm Rhonda Feynman. You're listening to the Healthy Options Program on WERU Community Radio. We're discussing the power of storytelling and healing ourselves in our communities with theater artist, writer, and director Gerard Stropnicki. <laughs> and we have a we do have a little bit of time left. I want to just say for sure that people know if you're if uh, now we're all ready to take a bus to uh, Bethlehem. <laughs> this weekend but what's happening <laughs> right here if you can't get to bethlehem this weekend um on november 1st and 2nd 2019 in belfast maine the uh you will be able to work with uh, jerry with his um his workshop will be all about um creative empathy isn't that yeah. uh, civic, empathy. civic empathy? Civic empathy. Civic, yeah. civic empathy. And it's, it's, it, let me tell you about the conference. It's called What's Art Got to Do With It? Art in Action Project, the Raw for Change Art in Action Project about the opioid crisis, uh, opioid addiction epidemic, which is, of course, worldwide and also affects uh, people here in the mid coast area of Belfast, Maine, and uh, surroundings. November 1st and 2nd, the Belfast Creative Coalition.org and 218-1144 if you want more information to area code 207. And uh, tell us about the workshop that you'll be doing there. Well, um, it is uh, a half-day workshop. There are um, four remarkable people. Um, Vijay Gupta is headlining. Uh, Natasha Myers, who is works in visual art, and uh, Joseph Jackson uh, will be there talking about direct advocacy, especially in prison populations. Um, but we'll be doing um, we'll be doing story work. We'll be looking at story. We'll be looking at listening at what it is to hold each other's stories and experiencing uh, story circle. So it's kind of an introduction to um, this, this process. I'll also have an opportunity to uh, talk about what happened in Bethlehem. That'll be fresh. That's right. And, uh, and share the, the work that I did over several years or yeah, that is ongoing by other people, thank God, in uh, <laughs> Kentucky, in Harlan County, Kentucky, which was the source and epicenter. It was the first place the big farm 
Tell us and, about that. Tell us about your work there, because I know you have experience with the opioid crisis and, yeah. and how this kind of story work uh, can help, and, and it's how we can move forward with this. Tell, tell us what happened in Harlan County. Well, in Harlan County, um, this goes back to the early 2000s. Um, it was the place um, where uh, the business model of finding um, struggling communities uh, where people had legitimate pain uh, and dumping opioids on those communities to great profit to big pharma uh, was was happening first. And so if you look into the history of the opioid crisis, you'll find that it all sort of goes back into um, southwest Virginia, southeast Kentucky, the coal region, really. Um, when they were really, they were still, still struggling with it, um, but it really hit hard and fast there. What's interesting is when that was happening and, and I began this project and I was invited in, um, I would talk to people at home about the opioid crisis and people would look at me sideways. What are you talking about? Um, because it hadn't hit here yet. But um, they, uh, the, the folks at uh, uh, Southeast Kentucky Community and Technical College, which is the community college there, had an Appalachian Studies program, have an Appalachian Studies program. And they were working in story and seeing that what was necessary first and foremost was to break the circles of secrecy around addiction, that we had to talk about it before we could heal it, before anything could be done, that anything could get traction. And you're dealing with a, a, a culture that is uh, quite proud of its secrecy. Um, it's a moonshining culture. <laughs> You're laughing about moonshiners earlier. But um, if you think about moonshining, uh, what are you doing? You're making your own intoxicants. You're hiding it from the law. You have a circle of friends that you can keep that will keep your secret, and you're using the income to support your family. So those exact same motors were what was happening in the opioid crisis. There it had the wrinkle that the drugs were being prescribed at first legitimately and then not legitimately, mostly to broke down coal miners, and that is folks with black lung or, or, or um, bad backs or missing limbs because coal mining is brutal on, on the human body. And so they had legit need, and here was this new uh, synthetic morphine that could be prescribed. And it was so powerful that they would, you know, they would get their 30 pills for the month and say, well, I could probably get by on 10. And then the market on the street happened quite quickly um, that the other 20 could be sold and then they would be crushed up so they could be processed to be injected or snorted. Or, and pretty soon, uh, a lot of young people were dying of overdose. Um, and so that was one of the motors. We had to break the circle of secrecy. And what better way to do that than through story? So uh, they, they made a, they did an application, this class did an application to the Rockefeller Foundation, which at that time had a program called Partners Affirming Community Transformation, which was about using arts to bring change. Um, and they did a, a, a large-scale public mural. They did um, a photography project. They did a lot of oral history work. And sort of, you know, on the last page in a paragraph is, oh, yeah, we're going to do a play. And... Um, so we did the process there. Joe Carson called me up and said, you're going to direct it. At first, I was the director there. 
Later, I became the co-writer. Um, and we made these plays. And it was just a remarkable experience using the process of talking to folks. Again, a lot of church basements, you know, rotary meetings at 9 in the morning, whatever it took to get people talking at first. And then um, you're recruiting the cast across all those mapped borderlines of that community, even getting people to gather in a place that as late as the 1970s was divided by barbed wire and machine gun watchtowers. Wow. Um, well, the movie Harlan County, USA, mm-hmm. which won the Oscar, it's kind of amazing film about the Harlan County Wars because um, these were people that were living in camps that the companies owned. And the idea to keep unions out was everything. So there was a lot of leftover pain and division in the community. And so by getting folks together to make this play, and it was quite the play, um, it actually began to have impact. Um, Again, not so much the play, but the fact that all the discussions happened in circle and in rehearsal and in reframing the story. And so... um, yeah, um, the Kentucky Department of Health put out a chart a few years later um, that showed that what had been the worst county in the country was now one of the better counties in Kentucky in terms of overdose death. That's remarkable. Now, uh, that's correlation is not the same as causation. But the people there feel that it had such power that um, 15 years later, they're still making plays, still wow. making plays. Uh, They just did one around needle exchange that toured the state. And at one point, there were eight different groups across the Commonwealth of Kentucky trying to replicate that, Mm -hmm. Um, working to use each other's story to crack open um, the secrecy and begin to start working as a community. So the play didn't do it. But what the play did was it encouraged people to open up, and that led to oh, I don't know, food banks and clothing exchanges and job fairs and um, rehab centers uh, invited in communities as opposed to not in my backyard. Um, And just families and churches beginning to help one another toward rehab, Um, a drug court as opposed to just punishment. Um, And it helps when you have the judge in the play, you know, (laughs) along with people who are struggling (laughs) with addiction. If you get them all in the room... Um, step by step, things happen. Well, well um, I, I'm going to quote you right here because you say in one of your articles, those connections exert pulls beyond the intellectual. They appeal to our hearts, our spirits, the centers of our being. Music and rhythm, image, story, and poetry exert pressures that pry open spaces for conversation. Boy, did I write that? You That's did. Beautiful. I did. Isn't that good? <laughs> You're good. Yeah, I just wish I just wish I was that good on my feet. Um, <laughs> you are. But, You've been uh, saying all of that. <laughs> but it is true that it, these are the motors that make it work, and that you know there are principles behind it. Um, you know the, the seven A's of agency: who gets to make the decisions, and it's not me. Um, authenticity: a real coal miner is always more powerful as a coal miner than any actor playing a coal miner. Um, artistry: um, we have to make these things as beautiful and as wonderful as possible. Accuracy, we can't make stuff up. It, it has to match what people's experience is and has been. Audacity, trying the, the hugeness of the projects is part of their power sometimes. Um, right. Although it's audacious just to get a bunch of people into a room telling stories. 
which I think we found out in, in Belfast earlier this summer. Yes. When after a week workshop, we filled the room with people to hear stories, and it was quite a remarkable evening. Um, yes. Uh, audience, who's your audience? And making sure that it, it's accessible, because if we're dreaming of our beloved community, we can't exclude anyone. And so we need to make sure that we're doing everything possible to uh, shatter uh, those barriers of who's invited and who gets to come. What would, what would this, so you're going to be coming here um, November 1st and 2nd, 2019, as part of the Arts Art in Action Project, the restorative, restorative Artworks Project. Uh, what What's art got to do with it? The Art, trans, mm-hmm. art Transforms Addiction. What, what, what looks like a success for, for something like that, or is that even a not a, a, a even a, a good question? <laughs> well, I think what looks like success is is um, getting a group of people together who become inspired to ask the right questions, right? To um, to think a little bit differently about what is possible and how we can use what we have to as, as a community, across barriers, across our disagreements, to, um, to uh, together, to come together to solve our problems. Mm. So we're not just yelling at each other. It's real different than the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And, and I think that's, yes, well, who knows where, what, what the, the circular problem, what comes first, right? <laughs> yeah, it really is, but we can break the cycle by, uh, by listening to one another. Yes. And then we can really break the cycle by together reframing our stories and figuring out ways to share them together, whether that's through monologue or scene or large-scale musical number, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, by reframing it, we come to an understanding, a shared understanding. And then once we have that, we can move on to solution. So once again, uh, what's art got to do with it? Art transforms addiction. Learn more about art and activism, November 1st and 2nd, Belfast, Maine, Art and Action Project. That's book your um, that's BelfastCreativeCoalition.org. That's 207-218-1144. We get to work with um, right here uh, on the Mid-Coast with uh, Gerard uh, Stropnicki, who we've been discussing all the ideas about story, that he'll be doing a workshop on civic empathy. Tell us more about the Bethlehem, uh, if people are inspired or people are listening and are in that area. Tell us. Well, if they're listening and in that area, Festival Unbound uh, is the website. If they can go online, Google that, Festival Unbound. And they'll find it. There's a couple other things on on, um, on YouTube, uh, some little videos that talk about it. Um, there's a huge amount of excitement around it as it moves forward. Wow. Um, it, it begins uh, Friday, October 4th, with an opening ceremony and then a product of my play. Then there's an open cabaret uh, for folks. Um, the uh, African-American Homecoming is the next day along with productions of The Secret, the teen production, Starry-Eyed, um, Hidden Seed, which is about the, the very early Moravian utopian wow. founding of Bethlehem. Um, is there a website on. or a contact? There is, and that is uh, festivalunbound.org. 
Wow. I cannot believe this, Gerard. This hour has just... Oh, I'm sorry. It's festivalunbound.com. Oh, festivalunbound.com. Okay. Gerard Strupnicki, to continue. Wow, this hour went so quickly. Thank you so much for being with us today on Healthy Options, giving us insight on such a creative and important way to bring people together for better health individually and in our communities. We all look for, also look forward to having you in Belfast, Maine. November 1st and 2nd. What's art got to do with it? Once again, that's 218-1144, BelfastCreativeCoalition.org. We have links to this and other information that was mentioned when we post the show in the Healthy Options archives, which can be found at public affairs section of weru.org. In the meantime, if you missed any part of the program or would like to share it, please go to weru.org to find our recent programs on demand. You can also find out all of our past interviews on the Healthy Options Archive at WERU. Thanks so much for Joel Mann for engineering, to Petra Hall for production assistance, and a big thank you to all of our WERU listeners and supporters. I'm Rhonda Feynman wishing you, as always, the best in health. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from DN Wealth Advisors, an independently owned wealth management firm providing investment advice to individuals, families, and institutions. Information at deighan.com. Democracy Now! produces a daily global independent news hour hosted by award-winning journalists Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez. Their reporting includes breaking daily news headlines and in-depth interviews